Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. John chapter 14, if you have a Bible or want to pull it up on your phone, that is where we are uh, going to be. One of the the things I love about this church is just building relationships and getting to to know people. And so anytime Chelsea and I go to dinner with somebody or have someone over for dinner, I will often do most of the talking because my wife doesn't talk a lot. And one of the questions I, I like to ask for my own entertainment is how like a, a couple met. Sometimes it's really entertaining, sometimes it's not, but it's a, it's a good question. And inevitably, someone will always ask how we met, which I will then proceed to tell them that we met over here at Mile High Middle School down the road in eighth grade a long time ago. But I have to kind of, Chelsea will look at me then and I'll have to share the reality that it took her many years after that to realize the great opportunity in front of her. So we didn't start dating until we were juniors in high school, and then we got married at at 19 and 20. And if you ask her the reason, she'll say it's because I was kind of an arrogant jerk. That's kind of the thing. And she's not totally wrong, but she's also not totally right. It's somewhere in between. And so we kind of fast forward a little bit to post high school. We've been married a while. I'm working at a different church. And they they tasked me with starting a college ministry, which really was not a good idea because I was like barely in college myself and married and figuring things out. I was just awful at this job. And so you should pray for those kids that were in college at that time because they're probably messed up now. Anyway, I worked with my youth pastor at this church. So he knew me in, in high school in the so-called arrogance jerk stage. And then Katie was like Bob and my assistant. And so she was a year younger than me and also knew me in high school. And so one, one day I'm doing this college ministry thing and, and you have a lot of coffees with a lot of college students. So I'm at a Starbucks up the road doing that, talking to, to this kid and at, like in the middle of it, this woman I've never met, 10, 20 years older than me, comes up and, and gives me this paper with some, some writing on it. And she goes on to proceed to tell me like how amazing I am and all this good I'm doing and how thankful she is. And I'm like, well, thank you for that. You actually have no idea. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but thanks. And then I get in my car and she's like, well, she had said when she handed me the paper, I have this word for you, like a word from the Lord, this prophetic thing. And I didn't have much experience with that. I did not grow up in a family that was prophetic or into charismatic gifts or healing or miracles or anything like that. The church I grew up in was not that way at all. So that wasn't a part of my like vocabulary or experience, but this lady says, here's this word for the Lord. And I'm like, all right, you're crazy, whatever. And then I get into my truck and I start reading it and it's about the immensity of my humility. And I'm like, I could get used to this. I like this lady. This is good. I can't wait to get back to the office to tell Bob and Katie that they've been wrong this whole time. And so I speed back to the office. I find Bob and Katie. They're sitting at a table. Here's these beautifully written three paragraphs about my humility. And I smack it on the desk. And I say, you guys have been wrong this whole time. This is a word from the Lord. This woman just prophesied about how humble I am. You've just been blind. So I share that to say this was my experience, sort of still is, with this type of thing. 
We might read in the scriptures about miracles and prophecy and experiences, and I'm unbelievably skeptical. I go, I don't really see that. I don't understand it. In fact, if I hear stories about this kind of thing happening, I'll look and I'll just judge somebody and go like, I feel like that's staged, fake, for money. There's some other motivation. I'm not buying it most often. As I'm growing, that's that's shifting a little bit. But for what we're going to talk about today, today's going to be a different day. You have to understand that's my background. The scriptures, though, say some pretty audacious things. Some claims that if we're honestly following Jesus and we say this is God's word, we have to be honest about. I think so often Christians are afraid to be honest about things we read, and we read it and we go like, well, it just must be true. Or you know what, I'm just going to read that real fast and we'll move on because I don't understand it. Or I'll find somebody that maybe can provide this other contextual loophole so I can explain it in a different way that might make sense. So I want to read some of the craziness that, that Jesus shares with this in mind. The Bible makes it clear that to be loved by Jesus is to be loved miraculously, and to love like Jesus is to share real stories of his miraculous love at work. John chapter 14, let me begin in verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. If you know me, Jesus says, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And then Jesus says one of his many crazy statements. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. If you're not familiar with why this is crazy, to this point as we read the the scriptures, Jesus has done some pretty impressive things that I've never done. For example, there was a man that smelled really bad because he'd been dead for multiple days and his body's decaying and Jesus just speaks and this man comes back from death to life and walks out. That's why we're actually sitting here today. Because things like this happen. I mean, it's crazy. When you think about the history of Christianity, there's no other religion like it that started in one central location and thousands of years later, you're sitting here, whether you believe or not, because things like that happened. Because there was a a man that couldn't see anything. His world was dark. He couldn't see the hand in front of his face until Jesus spoke and said, see, and he did. Or a man that was incapable of walking and he's laying there begging And Jesus commands him, get up, pick up your mat, and go. And the man leaps for the first time ever. Today in in juniors, the fourth through sixth graders will be in John chapter 6, where Jesus' disciples are terrified because of a massive storm. They're, They're freaking out, and Jesus just wakes up literally from a nap and goes, quiet, be still. He speaks with authority, and the waves and the wind listen. Like, this is our God. Just before that, he fed thousands of people with a little bit of bread and some fish. So when Jesus is here in in verse 12, the disciples have witnessed that, and he goes, hey, I assure you, 
The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. They're probably like, yeah, you are kind of crazy, like the people said. Like, that's an audacious, bold, kind of insane claim. So what do we do with that? It's here. How do we process it? Can we take it at face value? Do we need to come up with a kind of contextual loophole or kind of linguistic explanation of, of what's going on? And that's not the end of what's happening here. We continue in verse 13. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this might be confusing because you could be sitting there thinking to yourself, or maybe you've done this in the past, this is just fantastic. I really want a new boat. All I have to do is ask in Jesus' name, and there it comes. Jesus is like this mini little genie in my heart, and when I need to summon him, maybe you get three wishes, and one of them could be a boat. I like boats, in case you can't tell. That's not what is being communicated here. If you've ever tried it, it probably didn't work. If it did, let me know. I'm curious to hear the, the story. What does this actually mean? Once again, how, how do we take the scriptures for what they say and go, this is God's word and this is the truth, but what does this actually mean? I remember years ago, sometimes we, we have these moments where maybe you haven't experienced or seen something else, but maybe you know somebody trustworthy that has. So in my life, I haven't seen these miracles, these prophecies much. But I'll never forget being in, in Michigan. I shared a different story about this time not too long ago where my, my friend Tyler, who spoke here in January, was speaking at this conference. We're on our way to this dinner. I don't really know anybody. He's like, hey, here's the dinner. I'm sitting in the, the, the car as he's driving. Here's where we're going. Here's who we're going to meet with. And he tells me this story that started years before. He was just kind of going through life, and all of a sudden, all of these kind of intuitions, ideas, feelings about Brazil just kept popping into his mind out of, out of nowhere. To get the details right on this, I called him this week to like, hey, remind me how this all went down. And he's like, I had no interest. I literally could care less about Brazil. No working relationships there, no ministry partners, no family, friends, nothing. But for some reason, I couldn't shake that Brazil just kept coming up. And so one day, like a couple years into this, this pattern with Brazil, he's walking in a, a street in Dallas with a friend, and he finally shares it with somebody. Like, hey, this keeps happening. I don't know what it means. Brazil's coming up. What do I even do with that? Is that God saying something? And he's like, I kid you not, we turn a corner on the street in Dallas, and there is a massive billboard that's all about Brazil. And they just started laughing. Like, I don't, I don't know what it means. Just keep praying and listening and paying attention. And so they, they do that. Years go by, and Tyler still doesn't really know what this, this means. Eventually, he does kind of find this connection. One of his coworkers was going to speak at a conference and help this church planting network out in Brazil with some specific person that had asked him to. That's all he knows. This is the only connection at this point. And so Tyler's driving his kids, again, years later, two boys, to go hang out and spend some time at a friend's house down in Phoenix. As he's driving them, he's on the phone talking to someone totally different about this whole Brazil thing because now he knows somebody and he's talking about it. And as he's about to drop his kids off, his oldest son, Braden, goes, hey, dad, I had a dream about Brazil last night. And Tyler's like, what? So he's like, I got to call you back. He hangs up on that person. 
listens, and his, his son's like, yeah, I had, a, I had a dream, and Tyler's like, well, what, what happened? He's like, well, you and I were in Brazil. You were doing some work there, and we were with somebody. Tyler's like, well, who was it? He's like, somebody from Brazil. We were in his office. Tyler said, did you know his name? He's like, no. He's like, oh, you know what? There was a name written on the plaque on his desk. So he, he pulls that out, and he goes, well, do you remember it? He's like, no, it was like Ricky Agger something, Ricky agriculture, AGR is all he could remember. And so at this point, Tyler knew enough to know that his friend, which he had not shared this with his son, was going to connect and help this guy named Ricardo Agreste in Brazil. And so Tyler goes, hey, was it Ricardo Agreste? And he goes, yeah, that's the name that was on the plaque. And Tyler's just like freaking out, blown away, drops his boys off, picks up the call. His boys hang out there. He comes back three hours later. In the meantime, he takes out his phone and looks up a, a picture of Ricardo Agreste, who he's never met or talked to or anything like that. Right when he picks up his son, Braden, who's small and young at this time. Keep in mind, Tyler, Tyler played baseball at ASU. His son's like eight. I've had a dinner with them multiple times. Like These are just normal people. I've never had a conversation with anything miraculous about. I call Tyler for like leadership stuff. And so... He pulls up to pick up his son with a picture of Ricardo Agreste zoomed in on his phone. As soon as his son, Braden, gets in the car, he goes, hey, do you know who this is? So in the context. He goes, yeah, that's the guy in my dream. And Tyler's just blown away now. He shares this story with his friend who's going to Brazil to meet with that guy. Fast forward to Grand Rapids. I'm in the car hearing the story, which is like kind of wild. Like there's anticipation. We're literally in motion to this restaurant. Tyler has never met this man. We're going to meet him right then. And so, like, they meet and hug, and emotionally, and with a tear in his eyes, Ricardo Agreste, over this meal, shares this story from his perspective. Come to find out, he had told his wife he was going to quit, like, that week, or, or very, like, in proximity to that time. He was done. He couldn't do it anymore. It was over. This ministry in Brazil was too much. I don't know if he was just burnt out, exhausted, whatever it was, until he heard about this boy from Arizona's dream, and it turned everything around. I called Tyler, like I said, to kind of refresh myself on these details so I could tell you accurately what had happened. And he said, now they've partnered with them some financially, helped fund some things, not a ton of connection, but some. And his ministry in Brazil, I believe what he told me was, is now the largest and most impactful church planting network in all of Brazil to this day. And he says he would have quit if it wasn't for some boy's dream in Arizona. No connection sitting at a, a table at some barbecue restaurant in Michigan listening to this story. I'll never forget that, because these weren't like weird people. Just like, these are people I know, and this happened. And so sometimes you just hang on to the faith and stories and testimony of other people to go, I don't know, they're not crazy. I think there's crazy people out there, but they're not crazy. So that's an encouragement when I read something like Jesus saying, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Nonetheless, that's still confusing if you've asked for a boat and not been given it. So I read in this, this commentary a really helpful explanation about this that I, I think is really accurate that I want to uh, go ahead and read to you. It says this, Jesus gives his followers the incredible promise that he will do whatever they ask in his name. The name of Jesus speaks of his essential character. So I'm going to pause there for a second. A name today 
is a name, it identifies you. A name in this culture, though, when this was written, it's like your credit card. That in a ring means this is the family you come from. It's a, a credit line. It's this is who they are. This is their family. This is their history. They matter. If they say they'll do it, they will, or they have the funding to provide it. So like your life was built on your name. It's not just a name. Let's move on to the next slide if we can. To pray in his name is to pray for those things that correspond to the nature and will of Jesus. Such prayers are always answered. When we voice the desires of the Son, we pray for what is already his will, but awaits our request. When we pray in his name, in a way congruent with his character, we pray as his representatives. The Father will not deny the requests of his dearly beloved Son. The purpose of answered prayer is that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Ultimately, all praise and honor belong to him. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. Let your name, character, be honored on earth as it is in heaven. Here's an example of how Jesus lives into this prayer model himself. You go to Matthew chapter 26, or we'll put it on the screen. Jesus is like moments away from being arrested beaten, crucified. Like, this is a, a big moment in his life, and he models what it means to pray in the name, in the character, in the lane, the momentum of the will of God in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. When Jesus came with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. We won't get there. By the way, they failed. They fell asleep a bunch of times. We failed. Then they would go build the church. Like, we're here because the guys that fell asleep while Jesus asked them to stay awake while he prayed, they eventually let the work and miraculous love of Jesus work in their lives, and, and we're here because of that. So they fall asleep. Jesus goes off to pray. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's how we can translate it. Emotionally, relationally, physically, Jesus didn't want to do this. If there's any way, if it's possible, let this not happen. And then, yet not as I will, but as you will. Why? One word. Our whole church vision, our whole church mission, everything we do is built on this. Trust. We actually just sang about it. Even when I can't trust myself, I can trust in you. Jesus lived that out too. He said, here's what I feel, here's what I want, here's what I don't want, maybe more specifically, but I trust you more. Not my will, but your will. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. This is what it looks like to, to pray in the name of Jesus and to know it will be answered when it is in line with his will and his name. Sometimes... That includes a better job. Sometimes that includes financial blessing. Sometimes that includes physical healing. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a relationship you long for or something to happen or something to not happen. And those things happen. And sometimes they don't. The key, though, of praying in the name of Jesus is, one, recognizing power, but two, submitting to his will and that he's more trustworthy than we are even in those moments. John 14 really clarifies two things. Number one, this passage does not mean Jesus is our personal genie and our personal little heart. 
If you've been around here for very long at all, you'll quickly find out I'm not a big fan of the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart. I think it's this kind of gross oversimplification that maybe does more harm than good. Because what happens is we go, oh, this is kind of like this kiddish cartoon kind of thing that happens, salvation. And so you say a magical prayer, and if you say it just right, then like some mini Jesus form somehow goes into your heart in this like animated red way. And then you're just good, and you don't go to hell, you go to heaven, and it's great, and we'll sing songs and give some money and serve and do some studies, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of what that statement feels like to me. It's not necessarily inaccurate, but it's very incomplete compared to what this means, which we're about to get into. To be loved by Jesus means to be loved miraculously. To love like Jesus is to pray for his miraculous love to be displayed and to testify to it when we see it. To go, to go back to that, that other slide, whatever we ask in his name, this is the other thing uh, John chapter 14 shows us. Whatever we ask in his name, so again, in line with his will, his kingdom, his character, his vision and timing, it will happen. That's what the scriptures say. I wholeheartedly believe that. But it starts and ends with his name, his will, his vision, not our own. And we can always trust that his will, his name, his vision always have our best interest in mind, better than even we do. Sometimes clinging to other people's moments, testimonies, stories of faith is what guides us. Something, though, this past Sunday, a week from today, happened that was really remarkable. If you missed our worship night, it was beautiful. There was something so special about being outside. I've talked about this with the the sounds of our little city and town, proclaiming in song this reverberating anthem that Jesus alone is king, Jesus alone is trustworthy, Jesus alone is here in this way. It was beautiful. If we do it again, don't miss it. Like, it was, it was worthwhile. Before that, though, I got a text from a woman in our church who was like, hey, are you going to be at the church this morning? I know we don't have something till later. I'm like, no. And then she's like, okay, I need to talk to you about Craig, her husband, and so I'm like, well, hey, our, our fam's just hanging out at the house. If you want to come by, we can talk. So she comes over to, to share. And I had known most of this, but she was at a different place that for about nine months, six to nine months, her husband had been having significant health issues, multiple surgeries, ongoing bleeding. He was fainting and passing out. He's not been able to work now for quite some time. The surgeries were leaving them at a place without a lot of hope. So kind of in desperation, she's going, how do I support him? What does it look like to be faithful? Like, what do, what do we do in this? This pressure, this pain. And so I prayed for her, and then I said, and we agreed, like, let's have the elders go to your house that night before the worship nights when I can, can do it, and then some friends and family, and, and we'll pray. It's what the, the scriptures say to do. So we prep for the worship night. I leave. We go to, to their house. I'm terrible at this. this is, these are the things pastors are supposed to be good at. I don't know what I'm doing. I walk in the door, and I'm like, hi. I'm not sure what we're supposed to do here, but apparently I'm supposed to lead this thing. So let's all uh, gather in the living room around the couch in a circle, and we'll pray. So there's like eight or nine of us. We do that. And we start, and one person prays, and the next, and the third, and fourth. And it's just beautiful and, and meaningful. And I think they cared that we were there. And you go, this, this matters. And then we get to a guy named Andrew who goes to our church. He'd never met Craig until that day, though they actually had a, a child in the same class at the same school, but they never formally met. 
Andrew's never met Craig. He stops. This is one of those like heads bowed, eyes closed. We're praying, kind of like somber moments. And Andrew just stops it, interrupts it, and goes, hey, Craig, who we just met seven minutes ago, can I hold your hand while we pray? And Craig's like, yeah. And so Andrew begins to, to pray with Craig's hand in his hand. I put, I'm sitting next to Craig on his left, so I put my right hand on Craig's back. Andrew starts to pray. I'm not making this up. This is why I started with what I started. I didn't grow up in a charismatic background with miracles and healing. As Andrew's praying, my hand is on Craig's back, my right hand. I start to feel something in my palm, this tingling, like nerve ending, like almost like I got punched, but without the punch. And it starts moving up. I'm not making this up. My forearm all the way to my shoulder, which is kind of intriguing because I've torn my labrum and my right shoulder a bunch of times and it stopped right there. But we're praying and I'm skeptical. And I'm like, why are you making up weird stories in your head while like, it's not about you, Landon. It's about this guy. His wife's been praying for him. They don't know what to do. And here I am thinking about my own arm. I'm like, get over yourself. Chelsea was right. You are an arrogant jerk. But it doesn't go away. Andrew finishes praying. Everyone else prays. And I still feel this thing. I'm like, this is weird. But I don't say anything. Andrew just met Craig seven minutes ago. Held his hand. I feel something in my arm. It's wild. He goes, hey, Craig, do you feel any different? Did anything happen? He prayed for healing. And Craig instantly, without missing a beat. By the way, Whitney, Craig's husband, she's a nurse. Craig works in the medical field. They both work at YRMC. So like, that's their field, which matters. And he goes, yeah, right when you started praying. Like, I'm getting like, I can feel this right now. And I'm like, that's weird. So I walk out with the elders. I'm like, well, guess we did our job. Let's, let's go. They're thankful. It's a beautiful moment. I walk out. I'm like, guys, this happened to Aaron and Ben, two of our elders. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, this is, that's crazy. What did we just witness? They were thankful. We leave. I come to the worship night. We worship. It was powerful. Side note, I prayed a week before this worship night. So like two weeks ago, I started praying for something specific. It wasn't a boat. And <laughs> three different people, I'm not making this up, came up to me within a few days period of time, two of them on Sunday. One I'd never met in my life. She lived in Utah, just happened to be walking down the street, heard us worshiping. Another I see twice a year. Prayed for me and answered that prayer. Like, separately, without knowing, never had talked to them about this. They each gave me the same message. It's pretty intriguing on this past Sunday. So that happens. We get done with the worship night. I look at my phone, and, and Whitney had texted me, Craig's wife, and she said, Andrew was such a godsend. Thank you for coming over. He stayed and prayed with Craig again after you left, and this time Craig felt a full body tingling and broke down emotionally, which isn't something he ever does. And I'm like, well, that's crazy, because that's kind of what I felt in my arm. A few days later, I, I follow up, and I ask her how he's doing. She tells me everything's going well. Her, then, then I ask the specific question, because I wanted to be able to give it to you in their words, not mine. I said, is healing an accurate way to describe what happened? And she said, and I quote, I don't know what would be a better word. He was bleeding, and within an hour afterwards, he stopped. I'm not sure you could call it anything else. The pressure and pain went away, too. He was here. They were here in the, the first service. 
And I'll have him share personally at some point, but he's like, yeah, within an hour, bleeding, gone. My blood pressure, they took it the next morning, normal for the first time in a month. The pressure he was feeling stopped instantly and still to this moment. So I go the rest of this week. And honestly, like I still felt something in my arm. It's weird. And I'm like, I just witnessed somebody get healed in the name of Jesus. I've never said that in my life, for clarity. And then I'll take it one step further. I literally felt somebody get healed in the name of Jesus last Sunday. Yeah, you can applaud to that. But that leads to a question. I've been like racking my mind with this question all week long. How in the world... If, if that kind of stuff is happening, because I hear stories, and let me be clear, I still think there's a bunch of fakers staging it for money and all kinds of other junk. Like, I think that's real. That doesn't take away from the reality of what Jesus is still doing. Both can exist. But if that's actually happening, how in the world is every tongue not proclaiming that Jesus is king and every knee not bowing and worshiping this Jesus? And there's only one conclusion I can come up with. It is that Satan, as the scriptures say, is hear this word, unbelievably, meaning like unfathomably, we can't even begin to grasp how good he is at what he does, which I wrote a whole other sermon for today. I can't give it to you because we'll be at an hour and 13 minutes. No one wants to be there, be here this long on a Sunday. But in a nutshell, he eclipses who Jesus is by distorting what is true and good about him, by denying what is true and good about him, by causing us to believe something else. It's the only logical conclusion I can come up with because multiple people I know see this, hear this, I felt it. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I'm here to tell you, not because I'm a pastor, it's kind of embarrassing. This is real. This is not some made-up fairy tale. This isn't something to feel good about ourselves so we can do our nine-to-five or whatever we do and give a little money and have something else to go to because you need that in humanity. Like, the only reason to actually follow Jesus is if he's actually doing the things he says he would do, and he is. Let me wrap up with the end of this this passage. John 14, I'm going to pick up in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you for how long? Not momentarily, forever. I think the word counselor maybe is kind of not helpful perhaps in this moment. Here's why. When you think about a counselor, what you might think about is somebody you show up to for an appointment. Maybe you have to pay them, maybe you don't. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a very key industry for all of us. But you show up for an hour and then what they do is they ask you a million leading questions and they're never gonna tell you something point blank. Like I really value wise counsel and instructors, counselors, coaches, consultants in my life. I seek them out frequently. And sometimes I'm like, guys, can we please move on from this? I'm young. You're smarter than me. We both know that. I know you know the answer. Can we skip the whole game and just tell me? We don't have to do this. And then you you wrap up your Zoom call, phone call, session, whatever, and you're done. And guess what? They don't walk with you. They're not with you at home and driving in the car and when you're working out and doing your hobbies and, and in work and stressing about finances and figuring out relationships. They're not there. You might be able to call them and get at the next appointment, Maybe you text them, maybe they respond, maybe they don't, but they're not with you walking. 
And so maybe this word counselor is deceiving because the spirit that we've been given is not that kind of counselor. I'm not bashing that kind of counselor. Again, that's important. It's valuable. But the spirit, what this word here in John chapter 14 describes is somebody that walks with us. Actually, somebody that's connected to us beyond what we can imagine, which the the rest of this text will explain. I will give you another counselor to be with you forever, not for an hour session. Verse 17, he is the spirit of truth. The next part's going to answer some of the questions I posed. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, Jesus says, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and you, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? They ask good questions. By the way, when we get to this deconstruction series and practice in August, it's okay to ask good questions. It's okay to not understand everything. We'll get into that. How is that even possible? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Depending on the translation, it says, we will make, we, Father, Son, and Spirit, will make our dwelling place with him. The word dwelling is temple language. The the scriptures to this point, from Genesis to Revelation, paint a picture of the temple. At first, it was just God's presence freely given in the Garden of Eden. One day, it will be God's presence freely given here on earth as it is in heaven. But in that time, in that moment, God's presence was housed, caged, available, but not really, however you want to think about it, inside of a building called a temple. And so people took pilgrimages to the temple to be near to God's presence. And Jesus had already prophesied. He said, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. We've talked about this. This is the same thing. He's saying, we, God's presence, will dwell within you. Temple language, our presence united. The fabric of who God is connecting with permanently forever. The fabric of who you are as he made you. So that where you go, he goes to. Where you go, you become who he made you to be. So in a living room at Craig and Whitney's house on a Sunday in May 2023, we can sit there and I can feel the power of the almighty God of the universe through a man's prayer because he's a part of the church because he's a part of the body, because Jesus is alive and well within him, because this isn't fake. Otherwise, gosh, we're wasting our time. This is real. This is the Christ. This is our king. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's the gospel. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He'll teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. 
By the way, it's not too long after this that Peter denies him three times. It's a journey. God's faithful when we're not. I will, talk, I will not talk with you much longer. Here we go. Here's the answer to my other question. Because the ruler of the world is coming. The reason every knee is not bowing and every tongue is not confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior is because Satan, who is the ruler of this world to this moment still, though he's been, been conquered and it's all going to change soon, he's still deceiving and distorting and destroying and denying. But here's some incredible words, one incredible sentence. Jesus says, he has no power over me. And this Christ is alive within you if you are following Jesus. Not in your imaginary heart with an imaginary little Jesus that somehow does that and then naps and wakes up and says, don't do that, do this. But the almighty God of the universe tied into the fabric of your being, leading you to be who he has made you to be. He has no power over me. He has no power over you because of Jesus. Regardless of whatever you've messed up, and you've probably messed up a lot, and regardless of whatever good you've done, maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little, that's not relevant. That's not in the account. It's just because God is love. He has no power over me. On the contrary, I am going away so that the world may know that I love the Father just as the Father has commanded me to do so. To be loved by Jesus is to be loved miraculously. To love like Jesus is to share real stories of his miraculous love at work because there is no other God. There is no other king. There is no other way, only Jesus. So may we as this Restoration Church family, a group of messed up, beautiful, broken people, trusting Jesus together in the everyday stuff of life, may we live that way. We do not have a, a weak God. May we pray that way in his name. May we love that way because the world and we ourselves and our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family desperately need Jesus. And he is the only one trustworthy always, no matter the moment. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your name. Thank you that you are not a distant God, but that you are a God alive and well within us. God, I pray for anybody in this room that does not yet know you, not stuff about you, but know you for who you are, that you would just overwhelm them in this moment so that they might know you. Holy Spirit, work in this room so that you can be known and glorified so that your kingdom can come and your will be done. Free us from ourselves. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see as I prayed in the last service and ears to hear what you want us to hear and hearts to feel what you want us to feel. When we are not trustworthy, in every moment we look to you because there's not a moment where you will not be trustworthy. In every moment you are. Make yourself known. We don't deserve it, but we ask it. Work in us. Work through us. Be seen. Pray it in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one 
who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.